How on earth do you manage deferred compensation with an early retirement? That is what we're going to be talking about today. Even if you don't have a deferred compensation plan, I think this is going to be an entertaining episode for you. But let me have you judge that as opposed to me say that. So I hope you love this early retirement stuff. This is why I do the content that I do. I'm asked this often. And if there are other episodes that you go, you know what, Ari, haven't quite heard you talk about this one topic, whether it be railroad benefits, whether it be social security early, you know, whatever it is, submit a question on my website. Either I have an episode for you on that and I will send it to you or I'll make a new episode for you on that. So I love doing what I get to do. Submit a question on my website, earlyretirementpodcast.com. Before we hop into today's episode on deferred compensation, please know you can always check out more on YouTube. And if you are looking for more information on working with me, check that out in the description below. So what is deferred compensation and especially how does that impact an early retirement? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. You receive compensation, but you defer it to a later date. And once again, that's often in retirement. So there are two types. There's a qualified deferred compensation, which is like a 401k. Then there's non-qualified, okay? That non-qualified, that's what we're going to be talking about today, that latter of those two. When you hear qualified deferred comp, here's what you need to think about. Qualified deferred comp, that's protected by something known as ERISA, okay? Now, ERISA is probably something you've never heard of, but it stands for the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, ERISA, and lots of rules in ERISA. They are plans designed to protect participants. For most, it's a 401k, and that's your primary retirement asset. So ERISA was just designed to protect that. It's a federal law that implements standards so that certain employer-sponsored plans and regulations have to follow these guidelines. So it prohibits like a fiduciary, for example, from misusing funds and sets minimum standards for participation or vesting or benefit accrual. And so it doesn't just allow highly comp employees to be able to benefit, others employees do as well. So there's just some more rules there. Why do I bring that up at all? Those non-qualified deferred comp, so not the 401k that I just talked about, but the opposite, which I'm going to talk about now, that is not protected by ERISA, okay? So one of the retirements of a qualified plan that I did just talk about, that 401k, it's broad coverage, meaning you can't just only offer it to highly comp employees. It's got to go to everyone. Non-qualified plans like this deferred comp, that's not the case. It's different. Non-qual deferred comp allows corporate executives oftentimes to defer a much larger portion of your compensation. Why would you do that? You want to defer taxes on the money until that deferral gets paid. So right now, if you're in a high tax bracket, more often than not, you want to defer taxes so that the income that you're receiving doesn't get taxed as high because once you retire, guess what happens? You're likely in a higher excuse me, you're likely in a lower tax bracket. So why would you even consider this? Well, it's the following. Let's say that you have a normal 401k contribution and that normal 401k contribution is call it, oh, I don't know, let's say $30,000. If you're doing the full max over age 50, you might go, Ari, I have a really healthy salary. And even after that, I have plenty I want to save. Well, that's when you'd consider deferred compensation. But if you're saving 15% of call it $100,000 income, and you're saying, all right, I want to put, call it, max out my 401k. Reality is if you're 
bringing in 100,000, you're maxing out a 401k, you probably don't need to think about deferred comp because you probably don't need to stash more away because you probably will not be able to live a very fun life today and we don't want to only live for the future. But if you earn $500,000 today and you're maxing your 401k and you're 50 or older and you're putting $30,000 towards that, that's only 6% of your income. So if you're trying to save 10 or 15% to be able to maintain your lifestyle in retirement, you will want to put more away. Many of us understand how these 401k plans work, but here's what I want to start with. Before we get into deferred comp in a little bit more detail, let's understand what are the similarities between something like deferred comp using 401k as an example and non-qualified deferred comp. Now, a very important caveat before I go into this example is there are certain government deferred comp plans that are subject to a completely different set of rules. So if you're listening to this going, Ari, you know, I have a New York City deferred comp. And what you're saying isn't exactly in alignment with the reason for that is every single plan has it different. A corporate non-qual deferred comp versus a a deferred comp with the city or government, they're all very different. So you want to speak with a professional that specializes in understanding those differences. Here's a few differences between a 401k and a deferred comp plan. Like that non-qualified I'm talking about right now. A 401k limit is $30,000 for 2023 if you are over age 50. Deferred comp, no limit at all. From an eligibility, excuse me, eligibility perspective with a 401k, it must cover all those employees. Deferred comp, typically only to executives or higher up employees, if you will. Matching contributions, 401k, there's often an employer match there. Maybe it's, you know, 3%, maybe it's 4%, maybe it's a certain level up to, you know, a certain 100% of the first 3%, you know, that there's different levels to your employer matching. But with non-qual deferred comp, it's only your own deferrals. So there's no employer matching that occurs there. Now, here's the big one, ready? The risk of a deferred comp is very different than a 401k. The reason I brought up that ERISA at the beginning, 401k is protected by ERISA, meaning the funds that you set aside, they will not be subject to the general creditors of your company. So let's pretend your company goes bankrupt. Let's just take Netflix, for example. Unlikely to go bankrupt, but let's say Netflix goes bankrupt and you're working there and that's where your 401k is right now. You are okay. You still own those assets. With a non-qualified deferred comp, that is unfunded and that is subject to general creditors of the company, meaning... If Netflix were to go under and you have these unfunded assets, which essentially means these funds are not technically yours, meaning the employer, you know, to pay plan benefits or assets that have been outside of that, they could go in and take those funds. So if the company's not in great shape, guess what? Maybe you want to avoid that non-qualified deferred comp. Now, I know some of you are listening to this and probably do work for Netflix. And so I have no concerns over Netflix today. Just so you know, no bias there. But I, I use Netflix, wonderful platform. Not that I'm going to get any Netflix hating emails. Want you all to know from a risk perspective, we need to think through how is the company doing? Because hypothetical here, if you had non-qualified deferred comp and you had put call it $50,000 a year away for 10 years and you put $500,000 away and now your all of your assets were with Silicon Valley Bank, well, it would not be a fun situation because those would be subject to the general creditors of the company, meaning those assets would not necessarily be there for you, which is not something fun to think through. Now, onto investment options with a 401k, um, you have a menu of investment options to choose from. With a non-qualified deferred comp, 
you also have different options, but it depends on a few other things. And when you're investing, you're investing in a really weird way for accounting purposes. Here's what I mean by that. You're not actually investing in funds. Think of it like the movie Dumb and Dumber. In Dumb and Dumber, there's a scene in there where um, I believe it was Harry. He says, I, you know, money is just as good as IOUs. Um, now, when he says IOUs, he's of course joking in there. Maybe he says it seriously. I don't, I don't recall exactly, but Think of non-qualified deferred comp like IOUs. It's the company going, yeah, I owe you this, but if anything comes up at all, um, you might not get it. It's almost like that in a weird way, which is not a comforting way of thinking through it. Now, if your company is is very healthy, non-qualified deferred comp can be a wonderful planning tool, which is why I'm, I'm bringing it up in the first place. But when you're investing in the funds, you'll see a statement of those funds, but they're not technically there for you like a 401k. Regarding payment options and how you receive these funds, this is very important, a very important difference here. With a 401k, you have flexibility. You can leave it there. If you want to implement something like the rule of 55 to retire early, you can roll it over to a new 401k. You can put it in an IRA. You take money as you see fit. That's not the case with deferred comp. You withdraw the money at the agreed upon date. Oftentimes, it's when you retire or you leave that job. Typically, you're going to elect either a lump sum or installment of distributions. Example, let's assume you're taking a million bucks from your deferred comp when you leave your job. You could take it all at once and put you in a really high tax bracket, which more often than not, you don't want to do, especially if you have a very healthy balance there. Or for example, you could do a 10-year installment. So 100,000 every single year. You may also have the option of taking a special state tax benefit when you make these payments over 10 years or more. These payments are structured, and this is a very important planning point here if you do have deferred comp. Let's pretend that that you didn't hear what I said right there on 10-year installments. And you're like, Ari, I'm deferring my comp. I'm in California right now, and I can't wait because I've got this idea. I'm going to move to Texas. When I move to Texas, I'm going to take out this income. I'm not going to have to pay taxes. I wish that was the case, but it's not. If you're not doing a 10-year installment, you are going to be taxed based off of the contribution. That's not the case if you're doing this 10-year installment rule where you can do what I just said, which is where you're contributing in California, move to Texas, for example, and not have to pay taxes in the income you know, on those deferred comp dollars. So this is a very special tax benefit for those planning to move to a state with lower income tax rates. Doesn't mean you need to, but helpful to think through. With a 401k, um, there's a penalty if you want to take those funds early, 10%, um, plus you're looking at you know taxes on top of that. The RMDs that you have to take between age 73 and 75, those are with those pre-tax dollars. With non-qual deferred comp, you don't have to worry about that. Lastly here, and then I'm going to talk about some benefits as to how you can actually do this well. It's not a total negative you know, or pro-con list here. I'm going to give you some helpful tips, I promise. With a 401k, you can typically change it whenever. So if you want, for example, to increase cash flow, um, you can say, hey, let me decrease my 401k contribution. If you want to do the opposite, you can do that as well. With non-qual deferred comp, you must make an election for the entire year typically. So it's really important when that timing is coming up that you are electing that very much so with intent. Now, in terms of how do you use this effectively? How do you think through this? Then a few other considerations that I'll leave you with. You need to implement an investing strategy that complements your other assets. You cannot just look at your deferred comp as it's on its own because that's how you fail with an investment strategy. That's what's known as vacuum 
planning. We don't like vacuum planning. We want to invest understanding we have all these different assets and they have to be talking to one another. So include existing 401ks or Roth IRAs or your partner's you know, retirement accounts and make sure that you're working with your investments while they're talking to each other. Let's look at an example here. Let's assume you're going to retire and you want to live off of this deferred comp. Well, really consider that lump sum option because if you do this, you might be paying as much or maybe even more than saving that deferred comp. Let's assume you made 350000 in a year and you defer 50000 in that year. Well, you're only taxed on 300000 of that because you're probably in the 24% bracket, you know, married filing jointly, do that for 10 years. Well, that's $500,000. Assuming there's some growth there, maybe there's 650 or seven or 800,000 bucks. Now assume all that comes out as a lump sum. That's going to push you into the 35 or maybe 37% bracket, depending on other income sources, that's going to hurt you. So spreading it out over 10 years, instead of taking that lump sum, you would have been taxed at a much lower rate. So what are the triggers to know? Yes, I should do that or no, I shouldn't. Deferred comp, well, you're in the top tax bracket, relatively young, maybe you're not going to save the company forever. Yes, that's probably a good situation where you're going to save more dollars, you're going to benefit yourself from a tax situation. Now, assuming you change companies, um, deferred comp on top of newer, higher comp, and probably higher tax brackets, another trigger to maybe consider using deferred comp. On top of maybe thinking about that, a few other offhand considerations, which of course, everything here is hand in hand, look at cash flow. Do you need deferred comp to be on track? If you don't, just because it's an option doesn't mean you have to use it. If it's there and you're going, yes, I'm saving above and beyond you know, that 401k and I have plenty of cash flow and I'm not taking trips I want to do today, okay, maybe consider adding dollars to deferred comp. But if you don't, it's not as if it, you're not going to be okay. A lot of people say, Ari, that 401k max of 30000 if I don't do that, am I not going to be on track to retire? No, it doesn't work that way. That's just there as a very relative number, helpful to think through. The question is with deferred comp, you could certainly do deferred comp or should you instead look at a brokerage account, something you could tap into immediately and you can choose how that gets invested. It doesn't have limited options. From a tax benefit perspective, you're not paying Fed state taxes until you receive this income, but please know that FICA taxes are due. So imagine you know you get a 20% bonus and you defer 100% to that. That's all deferred, right? No taxes? No, you haven't hit the social security cap yet. So what happens is without getting too technical, 7.65% of your pay is still deducted. In this case, it would come out of the rest of your paycheck. So call it, you know, in this example here of 20,000 bonus, just doing some math here to for a hundred percent, call it 1500 bucks less would come from your paycheck. So additional consideration to deferred comp there, but let's summarize it for you. One, do you need to save more to be on track for retirement? That's a consideration. Do you want to pay less taxes? More people, it's yes. And I do a bad joke here at the firm. I say, I'm all about being patriotic, not to the point that you pay more in taxes than you need to. Lastly, when it comes to deferred comp, the biggest variable as I see it is please, please, please talk and think about deferred comp in alignment with all of your other future income sources. Think about social security. Think about if there's a pension. Think about your partner. How long do they want to and or need to keep working? 
All of these considerations make a massive difference to whether or not deferred comp makes sense. And then on top of that, take a gut feeling approach of your company, the solvency of the company, and ask yourself, you know, do you really trust this company? Because if anything were to happen, those dollars, of course, are in jeopardy. Not something fun to think about, but something that's important to think about. So that is it on deferred compensation. If you have other questions on this or go, I have deferred comp. Yes, I need to strategize around this. That's, of course, what I help people to do. So something helpful to think through. That's it for today's episode. Hope this was helpful. And if there's something else that you go, Ari, once again, want you to take a deeper dive on this topic, or I like the way you explained that. Yeah, that would be helpful. Happy to do so. But that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Early Retirement Show. If you have a question that you want answered in a future episode, you can always go to my website, earlyretirementpodcast.com. That's earlyretirementpodcast.com. And you can go ahead and submit a question that I'll look to answer in a future episode. Thank you all for listening. Please do rate it, review it, and share it with someone who you think would benefit from this information. If there's anyone out there that you know, I certainly appreciate it. And I will see you all each week. Hey guys, it's me again. Please be smart about this. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as financial, tax or legal advice, consult with your tax preparer or financial advisor before taking any action. This podcast is for informational purposes only.